Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, or tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Welcome back to the Whole Heart Eating Podcast. Today we have Danielle Bourjan on, and I'm super excited because Danielle is a colleague of mine at Spilove Psychotherapy. And we the reason why we brought you on, Danielle, was because of a really unique situation that we have been talking about a lot one-on-one around the intersection between supporting your body instead of restriction while having an autoimmune disease like multiple multiple sclerosis, MS for short. That might be how a lot of people hear about it, but we're really excited to have you on and talk about this and you have a really unique perspective around it and um, that's why we really wanted you to come on and talk about it because we know that there's a lot of people out there in the world who are diagnosed with this or will be diagnosed with it. And we want to have that conversation here because when you go on Dr. Google and you look up MS, there can be a lot of stuff that comes up and a lot of things that can be really overwhelming, a lot of things that can be kind of scary when you hear about it. And so... We're really excited to talk about it, and I think the first thing, we're just going to jump right in, that we really wanted to hear you talk about and share about is what are some common misconceptions and or misunderstandings about MS that people might not know about or you hear about and that might be making people feel like it's one thing when it's not? Um, Thank you, Christina and Dina. I'm so happy to be here today. But yes, let's jump right in. So uh, (laughs) one of there are a few misconceptions with MS that can be there um, and myths. The first one is that it is going to be disability your whole life. That's a big one. So there are several types of MS. Um, The first is relapsing remitting which is the most, um, I was just about to say popular, but uh, I mean, common, (laughs) the most common type. Um, And that is when you have a relapse or exacerbation, um, flare up are some of the interchangeable terms used for an exacerbation. Um, So this is when you have symptoms, then you go into remission, you may or may not recover fully from that exacerbation 100%. Some people are 90, 80, it all depends on what the exacerbation is. And then you go into remission and then you're in remission for a while. And then out of the blue, another relapse will happen. So that's relapsing remitting. Uh, The other form of MS is primary progressive, which is a just a downward trajectory and disability. You don't actually have those breaks of remission. You have just a continual um, flare up, if you will, that just lasts and it just changes um, 
course and can can get worse and worse. Uh, the last form of MS is secondary progressive. And secondary progressive is when you've had relapsing remitting first. And as your condition progresses and it starts to take on more of an aggressive um, downward trajectory, so that turns into secondary progressive. And prior to all of the new meds on the market, 50% of individuals with relapsing remitting MS would develop secondary progressive, uh, but, which is a good but, we don't know that that's the case anymore because there are so many different disease-modifying therapies out there, or DMTs for short, um, to help with the condition itself. To me, it would seem like, because I would say, I mean, I did not know, and I'm sure that the general population probably doesn't know that there are multiple types of MS. I feel like when that diagnosis or even that condition is thrown around, people just assume immediately the worst, right? And so it can feel like a lot of the time, and we see this as similar with other autoimmune diseases as well, even ones that are not as you know progressive as MS, let's say, it can really feel nearly impossible to not get bombarded and kind of overwhelmed with, oh my gosh, what are all of the things that I can do to kind of control the progression or stop the progression of this disease? How how do you not go down that all or nothing, I need to be eating 27 vegetables a day and everything like that? <laughs> That's a great question. And yes, <laughs> I would love to say, oh, it's just easy. You don't have to do it now. I would say that most people do. And um, if it's okay, I'd like to disclose on this podcast, I do have MS. So I I do th- I do hope that's helpful for our, your audience to know I do have MS. I have relapsing remitting MS. Um, and I would be remiss to say that I did not go through that headspace of, oh my gosh, I have to you know do all the things. I have to get better. I need to get over this hump. Um, I have to control it, uh, to not do that really is processing through that with, uh, honestly, I've found therapy helpful for that, um, to process through the emotions of being diagnosed with the condition and not going through the downward spiral and like, you know, thought process. Um, I remember I was interviewed for CBS three Philly um, about my MS. And one of the things I said in that interview was it's not a death sentence, but it feels like it is when you do get that diagnosis, because you do go through that process of thinking about, I'm just, I'm not going to, I'm not going to walk. I'm not going to dance. I'm not going to jump. I'm not going to do anything. My life is going to be, you know, terrible. And there is a space that needs to happen to go through the little bit of the catastrophizing, but working through that with somebody can help um, take you to the other side of that. No, that makes a lot of sense. Cause I, I could imagine too, like, well, it's a really intense thing to be diagnosed with and can feel really scary and is scary, right? Like hearing the idea of like, oh, great, I might have this one type for a while and then all of a sudden it could change something else would be as scary as getting diagnosed with any de- 
like that can be a really debilitating chronic illness, right? And so it would be almost, I feel like, a knee-jerk natural response to be like, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure if I have relapsing remitting, to make sure that my remitting is as long as possible. And I think it could be really easy then to get kind of caught up in quote-unquote curing, right, or the attempts of curing. And I know there's there's a lot of talk out there about curing autoimmune diseases in the world out there <laughs> and that we use quotes. I love that, Danielle. Thank you for the eye roll and the air quotes because that is 100% true. And I feel like we can really, as a result of like hearing or seeing that, and then also too, seeing people's quote unquote recoveries, right? Like how do we know that they're not, they're just in a Uh, remitting phase and we're giving credit to the 30 vegetables that they're eating every day not to say that eating vegetables isn't helpful for literally anybody out there with any kind of health condition or just a normal person living your life you know we know vegetables have nutrients in it people with autoimmune diseases might need nutrients too so like it's all in there as well but the idea that you can really get attached to this idea of curing it I could see how that would be something really easy to latch onto and to feel like, no, I need to just get through this, especially when we're like, we as, um, as like a society, we always are like, I have to get over this hump. I just have to get over this thing that I'm doing. And so I feel like it could be really easy to get quickly wrapped up in kind of perfectionism and extreme like extreme thinking processes around this and how it can feel like a slippery slope if you're comfortable would you be open to sharing some of maybe your personal experience or what you see as a therapist when people are talking about this I know you run a lot of like and are part of different types of support groups and you talk about MS a lot in the academic field I'd love for you to share more about how these two things can really converge and how in some ways it could even lead to really disordered eating patterns and all or nothing thinking when it comes to this diagnosis. Yeah. Um, so it's really, it's really interesting. So there are two pieces. There's the perfectionist. I need to get over this hump. So I'm going to do everything in my power to do it. And that can lead down a path to some very disordered behavior. Um, eating as well. And there's the piece of digesting for lack of a better term. Um, (laughs) (laughs) we love it. (laughs) getting that. So getting that diagnosis and, you know, digesting that you have now a condition that you have to live with that there's a piece there that, you know, grieving that needs to, you need to go through of grieving the life that you thought you would have and it's not necessarily all gone either. It's just, you need, there's a piece that you have to recognize and accept that you have this condition. And I can tell you from a personal standpoint, um, after my first exacerbation, um, I was like, all right, I've done this. I'm going to just jump into my life. I'm going to just ignore it almost kind of denial mode of just, I'm going to ignore it completely. And I'm just going to go about my life. I'm not going to let it beat me. I'm just going to kick its butt. 
Well, then MS had another plan for me and I had my second exacerbation and I was completely paralyzed on my left side and had to come back from that and work my way back from that. And that one was really the piece that I had to go through that grieving process and really that accepting process from a psychotherapy perspective, um, because it's just, it's a lot to take in. I did (laughs) Google, Dr. Google, as you said earlier, (laughs) um, different, you know, things that I could do. And at the time the MS diet book popped up, um, and it's a highly restrictive diet. And to be very honest with you, I would start to read it and I would throw it across the room. Like, like literally, this is not a figure of speech. I would throw the book across the room because I'm like, I can't eat anything. Oh my God, I can't eat anything. I, I, I What am I, what do I get to eat? Like, I can't do anything. So I never did that diet. <laughs> Good. Yeah, thank God. Because it was just so, it was just so overwhelming. And and this thought that, well, not only do I have a condition that I have to deal with physical limitations on and trying to work through, I can't eat anything, which is kind of the antithesis of what you need to do because you need to fuel the body in order to help the body heal. Um, so that's, that was that diet book. And then there's the walls protocol, which is the, the newer I mean, it's, it's been around for a while. Um, and it, it's a little less restrictive, but it's still very restrictive. Uh, I think she's changed it a little bit, um, towards keto, um, uh, more keto focused. I'm not sure. I haven't read it since I read the first (laughs) one. I, I, I didn't do it. Um, yeah. I mean, in a past life, I used to go to all these paleo conferences and stuff like that, right? And I did see Dr. Walls speak once. And, you know, it is it is fascinating to learn someone's story that's like, oh, I was able to, you know, control the progression of my MS by doing this, this, and this. But then when, like, and that that's, you know, amazing for them and then really cool to hear about. But then when you look at, especially as a nutrition professional or a therapist, like trying to work with someone to put that into practice, it's like, I mean, we know this can be construed as a very extreme condition and therefore we need some kind of extreme intervention in order to manage it. But at the same time, it's like, you're already dealing with the stress and the physical ramifications of this going on. How are you supposed to even implement a protocol that is this restrictive and this extreme and be able to maintain that when you already are trying to manage the rest of your life with a new set of physical limitations, at least sometimes. No, absolutely. That's a great point, Dina. Um, And I'm really glad though that the Walls Protocol worked for Dr. Walls. It is really important to point out that MS, um, it's, the condition is very unique to the individual. It's almost like a, a snowflake condition, if you will. MS presents differently in every single individual, even though, so for example, let's take um, the symptom of fatigue, which is one of the, the most debilitating symptoms and also the most ubiquitous throughout the MS community. And uh, that is a symptom that I personally deal with on a daily basis. Most people deal with on a daily basis. Uh, It's not one of those symptoms that kind of comes with exacerbations um, or not. It's usually 
once, once you have MS, it starts to progress. Um, so you have to manage it. Um, it does for me, it gets worse with exacerbation too. Um, and I don't want to invalidate anyone else's experience either, but it is really a unique to the individual. So my fatigue will look different than some, than Dr. Walls's fatigue, for example, or someone else with MS's fatigue. So just because, a you know, a diet worked for one person doesn't mean it works for everyone. There's more uh, information we need to get from an individual to really work with them from a psychotherapy perspective, which is my domain, but I'm sure from a nutrition perspective, which is your <laughs> domain, um, that you can help with. The one thing that I can say is that MS with MS, um, most often than not, um, vitamin D, vitamin D deficiency is something that kind of is across the board. So, you know, that's, that's all I can say really on the nutrition part. <laughs> yeah, no, I think what's important too is like, when I like what you said there about how it's really individualized, I think we tend to think of something as uh, we tend to think of things in such absolutes a lot of the time. And we think either we have it or we don't have it and it's going to present the same way. And it's really easy and very, um, I could imagine I did not have MS the first time I saw Dr. Walls talk, but I remember thinking to myself, well, if that worked for Dr. Walls and they have MS, then why the hell aren't I doing it? Imagine how amazing I could be feeling as a, you know, as like any average person being like, that's what everyone needs. And I think like one of the things that can be kind of complicated about it too is then saying, okay, how do I take a step back a little bit? and assess it for what it is and look at it instead of thinking about this in the absolutes like I have to do everything that this person is saying how can I then kind of look at it and say okay what works for me and how it's presenting for me what tools are available that could be supportive for me and I think it could be probably really hard when you're first starting out when you don't know how your MS is really presenting all you know is that you have it and you have these symptoms that I mean, prior to getting diagnosed with MS, I imagine that most of the symptoms are kind of all over the place and they don't really know what it is, you know, um, which also is kind of weird. And then all of a sudden you get this really big diagnosis and you're kind of left there like, well, I have all of these weird symptoms that are all over the place. What do I do about them and how do I support them? So what would you say would be some warning signs to watch out for? Um, that you would say that's before someone would try to kind of implement any MS type of um, supportive modality or anything like that. Nutrition is obviously like our piece that we really love to hear about. So I'd like for you to share on that too. But for any tool that's out there, like exercise, I know is a big thing and all of these different parts. How do you then not become, what are some warning signs that you're then going to be too restrictive or you're thinking about it all or nothing? So it's a very interesting question. Um, <laughs> it's interesting because, you know, even on, um, a talk that I gave recently, I touched on some of the things that on wellness and what wellness pieces uh, that can come into play, like exercise and the importance of it and nutrition. And I did talk about uh, mental health. And it's interesting because the um, 
even presenting that to the support group for, with MS, I I did tailor it to individualize. You know, if exercise, if you aren't exercising at all, it could mean starting at five minutes a day, going for a walk, or if you're wheelchair bound, um, you know, doing some arm movements, just getting into the body, um, rolling, um, whatever you need to do. It could be as little as five minutes a day and building up. It's not okay. I say exercise. You go to the gym, you're there for an hour and a half. You're going to sweat. You're going to push. You're going to go, 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 go. It is not that. And when I talked about nutrition, the national MS society has like a list of items on their website for nutrition. Um, and it says like a healthy body, you know, maintaining a healthy body weight. And I was, I had a little asterisk next to it on my slide. And I said, maintaining a healthy body weight for you. This does not mean super skinny. This does not mean you need to lose all this weight. This is what, this has got to be tailored to you. Don't fall into that trap. So the, some of the warning signs could be those feelings of, okay, I've got to do all the things I've got to go to the gym, all the, you know, I got to eat the restrictive diet and said, just try to take a step back. Just take a breath and realize that this condition is as unique as you are. And there is no one size fits all for you. Well, I also imagine, you know, we, we've talked about how extreme the, um, you know, the nutrition protocols can be and the exercise recommendations can be in trying to control specific body weight. But I also imagine like any autoimmune disease that stress is a major component to it. And when we think about implementing these different nutritional interventions and exercise and also trying to basically do everything that you can to manage the progression or the current symptoms that you have of your disease, I imagine that putting yourself in a very high stress state would also exacerbate the exacerbations, right? Like make things worse. (laughs) So have you noticed either in your personal experience or with working with people that there are certain things that can make the exacerbations worse, you know, even if you have the best of intentions or is it just like, well, my body's just going to do what it wants to when it wants to, and I'm just here and who knows. So yeah, um, stress is kind of the devil. Um, (laughs) 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 Um, I say that being a grad student and also someone who works and is, has a lot of stress in their life. Right now, um, no, it actually, stress is one of those things, particularly in autoimmune conditions, that needs to be managed. Um, do I do a good job at it every day? No, I do not. <laughs> I, 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 I wish I did, but I don't. You know, I'm not perfect, and that's okay. Um, <laughs> but stress is really challenging, and. I also want to kind of talk a little bit, bit about exercise and stressing with exercise um, for a moment, if I can. If you are an athlete and you are used to a certain training condition, I'm not saying just stop that condition. I'm saying like stop that level of training. Listen to your body if your body's able to do it. And there is something to be said to push a little bit more, but not like, oh my God, I got to go for it. Um 
part of the reason why exercise is important is not just for uh, nutrition or uh, maintaining a certain weight or anything like that. It is also really good for fatigue, uh, spasticity, mobility, and strength. Um, so with MS, you know, you can have uh, muscle spasticity where your muscles will freeze up. So having a, you know, regular e exercise kind of routine. And again, when I say exercise, if exercise for you means going out and gardening and, and moving that way, that's exercise for you. Uh, if exercise for you is going to a ballet class, that's me. Um, if I can, when I have time, um, that's, that's me. It's, it's really got to be tailored to you and what your body needs. Um, so it is important in that regard too. It's not just a, uh, weight perspective. Um, I think I answered your question. I mean, or we were talking about stress. I'm sorry. <laughs> I got on a tangent. Um, <laughs> that happens with us all the time. Every well, day, just so you know. at least once. <laughs> That's good because I was just like, "Oh man, I'm on the exercise. I'm on the exercise wheel tangent." And uh, <laughs> whoops. No, but I, you know, staying on the exercise wheel tangent for just a hot second because I really appreciate that you've made that distinction. I think a lot of times people think of movement and exercise as something for weight modification and I think it's really important that you that you noted that that's not actually what the research is around MS the research around MS is actually around a muscular piece and the supporting the muscle the muscle you know the your muscles so that you can do certain types of things so you can help with mobility long term and that's regardless of size and body size it has nothing to do with caloric output or anything like that in any way and I think that's a really important distinction that I'm really happy that people hear. And if they didn't get that from you, you just heard me say it very blank, like very, very point blank. It has nothing to do with that. And so when we talk about it, also like, you know, I don't know the National MS Society. I'm sure they have the stuff, but I'm sure they also are biased towards size as well. So there's probably stuff in there too when they say healthy body weight. How do they define that? And like you said, it's defined by you. But I think it is really important to say that, like, no, the research shows MS specifically, this condition specifically with exercise is really beneficial for this thing, not necessarily tied back to what they mean by, quote unquote, a healthy body size. Yeah. And I think to to point like to point out to with fatigue, I know when you're dealing with fatigue a lot, um, the idea to exercise feels counterintuitive, but the more you do on a regular basis, the potential for your fatigue threshold to go, um, to get bigger is, is there. So like for me, for example, when I don't exercise, my fatigue threshold is very small. Um, whereas when I do exercise on a regular basis, um, my fatigue threshold is huge. So, um, it is really important to t speak about that, um, as well, because it, it really is, it's not about your body weight. It's really from a physiological muscular standpoint and fatigue. And this really ties in with Christine and I did an episode last week on in general for autoimmune disease, trying to meet your body where you are with the evidence-based recommendations that are out there for different autoimmune conditions, right? So even if there is a specific autoimmune condition and all of the research says 
you should be doing this, 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 and this in order to manage your autoimmune disease effectively. One of the things we were talking about is it's so important to meet our clients and then yourself, if you're someone who's listening to this, or I'm sure Danielle, you did the same thing. Is like, okay, if I'm here and the recommendations are here, where do I start? Even if that's somewhere that is available to you to go eventually and that is safe and appropriate for you. That's a big thing that we touched on last week, especially with how disordered eating and eating disorders can come into autoimmune disease and everything. But even if every condition has been met, right, like things are evidence-based, it's applicable for you, and meaning like you have the condition that they're specifically talking about in the research, and then it's appropriate for you, it's also important to not just jump in feet first and be like, oh, I'm going to do every single thing, which we kind of called like a wellness productivity checklist of like, here's all the nutrition things I'm going to do, and then I'm going to meditate, and then I'm going to manage my stress, and then I'm going to drink X amount of water, and then I'm going to sleep this much, and then I'm going to exercise this much, right? Because even that is a massive cortisol dump into the system in not like a positive way, but in a negative way that can also exacerbate your symptoms. So it's really important to think about, okay, based on where I am, exactly like you were saying before, what does exercise or movement look like for me right now? And if I do want to increase that or if it's non-existent, instead of being like, I'm going to the gym six times a week and it's going to be an hour and we're going to do weightlifting and cardio and blah, blah, blah. It's like, we're going to do some gardening. Maybe we're going to do some walking. We're going to do some, you know, assisted movement if we are wheelchair bound or, you know, different kinds of activities. It's all about meeting yourself where you are and thinking about if, you know, the distance over there of the recommendations is somewhere where you want to go. It's figuring out what is a realistic, sustainable, kind of slow, more managed plan in order to get me there instead of putting that expectation on yourself of, oh, the only way that I can manage these symptoms is jumping into it feet first. Because like you mentioned with the fatigue threshold, that in itself, like trying to put in place those interventions is exhausting. (laughs) So let's all try and like slow down a little bit. You know, even if there's somewhere that you're aiming to go, we have to figure out what is your path to get there over the long term. And maybe you'll find that you don't need to go all the way over there, wherever there is, right? Maybe it's halfway, maybe it's a quarter of the way, right? It's trying to figure out based on where I am right now, how can I meet myself where I am? And to do this, it's very helpful to have a practitioner (laughs) because it's hard to be objective (laughs) about your own situation. (laughs) At what point, when when Dana's listing out all the different things that you're going to do now, (laughs) at what point are you only living to maintain this one thing? And what about the rest of your life? You know, what about the things that you're doing for joy? What about the things that you're doing to spend quality time with your family? And like, and I get that, right? There's a balance between... Okay, if I don't do any of these things, my fatigue is debilitating and I don't get to enjoy the quality time with my friends, family and do the things that I would really like to do, you know? So, where do I then like that's where Dana's meet you where meet myself where I am piece comes in. We're like, "Okay, I'm going to start where I am here and then I'm going to find my own personal sweet spot." Someone else's sweet spot may be way over here, but your sweet spot might be going for a walk every day with your dog. And that's great. And that's literally cool. (laughs) And I think, um, and you're still implementing the evidence-based research around it. And I think that's like one of the things too, is that we think of it so much in an all or nothing as far as supporting our system, right? And we tend to, to be 
either one way or the other or we'll read the research and we'll say like oh these people were doing this amount in the in the in the research study so that means for me to have any benefit at all I have to do every single thing in the research study. And it's like, okay, why are we throwing the bath out with the bathwater or whatever that saying is, or cut your nose to spite your face? Isn't that the saying too? Throw the baby out with the bathwater is, is the phrase. With the baby! <laughs> Throw the bath out. But speaking of like popular <laughs> phrases real quick, you know, you know the phrase, you have to crawl before you can walk. Well, you have to be able to roll onto your stomach before you can crawl as a baby. So we need to take it back <laughs> even further. Yes. Yep. You also have to be able to lift your head up. I mean, there's so like there's so many pieces of like all of the things. I think that's such a good point. Casey is going to die laughing when he hears this episode on the podcast when I say throw the bath out with the bathwater. <laughs> <laughs> because I am historically known for completely butchering common phrases. <laughs> so, so this is really great. But I think everyone listening got my point and got a little laugh out of it. You know, that's always good. It's a heavy topic today. And I don't mind being the uh, comic relief in the, in the middle of this episode. <laughs> but I think it isn't like the whole point. The whole point, though, is to be you have to kind of figure out that sweet spot for yourself and figuring out, am I taking this research and saying that I have to do it all or nothing? Or am I listening to it and saying, okay, how do I apply this to myself and meet myself where I am? Very similarly to like what we talked about last week, Dana, in the the episode from last week of how do I take this and then apply it to me? Without being orthorexic about it or without being, you know, taking it to an extreme that can then activate your nervous system and dig you in a deeper hole. <laughs> so so outside of, you know, the research for, you know, like, oh, these are the things like to help me physically, I'd be really curious of what you found to be the most important things that help, have helped you in your MS journey. Oh, um, one of the big pieces was going through therapy. Um, particularly after that second exacerbation, it was a really hard exacerbation, um, to work through. So that was a really big piece of my journey. Another piece was I, so I was a ballet dancer, um, in my lifetime before, um, MS and, um, I was in a pre-professional track and I got injured in a car accident. So that ended my career, but not MS didn't end it, but, it's fine. Um, it's all a journey. You know, I, I wouldn't be sitting here today if I didn't go through the steps that I went through in my life. Um, so one of the other pieces was actually going back to ballet and, you know, dancing in as an adult dancer, which was is a complete different um, headspace, if you will, than a professional, pre-professional training program or pre-professional dancer, because there's no competition. (laughs) There's, it's, everybody is there and there's a great community and finding something that I loved again and embracing it despite my MS. And I still have challenges. Um, I'm about 95% recovered from my second exacerbation in 2010. 
most people don't notice. It's not noticeable as my left side was out. So, but when I do frappes at the bar my or petite, um, petite bama, it it's very noticeable because my foot literally will shake. And I'm like, all right, we're just going to let it go. <laughs> this is just okay. Uh, it's different. It's fine. Um, but really it's finding something I could connect to again and something that I loved that kept me active um, and moving. And it kind of told me that it's it's going to be okay in a weird way. It was like very comforting because I was able to start dancing again. And I know my journey is very specific to me and I know it's not necessarily going to be applicable to everyone. But for me, it was just finding that peace and finding home again and finding wholeness um, through psychotherapy, through going back to dance. Um, and I'm very connected to my body in that regard because I, I, I was a dancer. I am a dancer. It's I'm very connected that way. And I understand a lot of people aren't as connected to their bodies and it can be hard with MS when you are having uh, disconnection even further, like a limb isn't functioning or it shakes or you have numbness or you can't feel like not being able to feel something, um, and be connected to your body. And I know that's really hard. So doing, you know, kind of grounding and somatic work, trying to get back in the body and reconnect can be very helpful in that regard. So that's, that's my journey. That's how I found, um, I've heard many different stories from other individuals with MS and um, they're not here today. So I'm not going to share their stories because they are not my stories to share. Um, but, you know, it's finding something, but the, the biggest piece I, I think was finding connection to something that helped get you through it. You know, I think well, one thing I was going to say was you still are a dancer. And I heard you say I am a dancer, which is great. But you said pre when I like post when I was, you still are. And I think even if you're, you know, not able to do it, that's who you are at your core. And I think that's kind of what I gathered from you is that you you were your biggest piece was coming back to who you are as a person and not letting yeah. um and not making ms your new identity and i think that that is probably a really difficult balance because you want to support it you want to do things for it all of you know all of that but also it still doesn't replace who you are right in your core and who you are and i think that's probably where the psychotherapy is really helpful in helping you put all those pieces together um if you could go back in time, what advice or thoughts would you have for yourself? Or for someone who's newly diagnosed? The immediate thing that popped into my head, it's a its a line from the movie Ever After. Um, and it's Drew Barrymore standing at the top at the ball. And she says, breathe, just breathe. Um, that's popping into my head because that immediate onslaught of emotions and thoughts that go through your head you're you know even in the process not even after the diagnosis like pre-diagnosis because usually ms takes a while to diagnose i wasn't diagnosed with ms right away um i was diagnosed with um acute encephalomyelitis 
ADEM for short. I don't remember the whole term. It's a long word. It's a lot of Latin. I don't know. But it took actually six months for me to get the MS diagnosis. They were also trying to rule out um, Sjogren's syndrome. Um, So all those changes happening and my first onset of symptoms of my, I started to have field cuts in my vision. Um, I had aphasia. So my words were coming out very slurred, which was scary AF. Um, and my handwriting wasn't, it was legible, but it wasn't my handwriting. And I was like, <laughs> what's going on? So it was very scary. And so, you know, kind of honoring those things. Like you have all these thoughts, feelings. I, I don't know what's happening to my body. I, something's wrong. I don't know what's going on. Um, And then eventually learning how to kind of take that judgment of wrong out of the equation. That was a very hard piece um, to learn because you start to, um, blame yourself. I mean, you're like, well, what did I do? What did I, what did I do? What did I do to be in this position today? Why do I deserve this? Um, and then having to kind of work through all those things. So my biggest advice would be to breathe, just breathe, because when all these things are happening and it's this swirl of emotions and you're just, and thoughts, and you're just so caught up in it. And it's just like kind of still like every just try to find some stillness moment even if it's a moment to then kind of work through a plan and and start problem solving and not going into hyperfixation on you know perfectionism of doing all the things all the recommended things in the books because it's really you know it's a lot I'm not going to lie. It's, it is a lot to handle. And yeah. So, yeah. That is a lot. Yeah. It's heavy and it's not like an easy thing. To, I could imagine too that like everything that you said that having the diagnosis a lot of times, like sometimes I remember when I got diagnosed with celiac disease and this is very different. There was a level of relief in being able to identify what was causing it, right? And like being able to do that, like that is something that I could find, I found relief in. And I could imagine like feeling relief and finding out that there is a cause for why certain things were happening within your body. But then at the same time being like, fuck, I wish it wasn't that, like, <laughs> you know, like all, all at the same time. And that's a really complex feeling to kind of process and work through, which is I really appreciate why you said that your advice is take a deep breath, take a deep breath, get a therapist. (laughs) You know, that's what I'm getting from you. Take a deep breath, get a therapist, find a medical team that you really drive with that you feel like is going to support you and then work with people who are going to help you be able to decide what is going to be supportive for you. And then how do we implement it in micro shifts instead of thinking about it all or nothing to help create your your home base, you know, for what helps you and supports you. Yeah. And your care team, that is crucial. And if you get with a therapist or nutritionist, and I'm sure you'll back me up on this and you don't drive with Mm -hmm. them, you can leave them. 
You don't have to stay <laughs> with them. You can go find someone yeah. who you drive with because having your care team in place, like my first care team for my MS was a horrific experience and I'm not going to go into it because we'll be here all day. Um, but when I found my doctor, I've been with my doctor longer than I've been with my husband. Um, <laughs> and if it weren't for her, I like, I don't know if I'd be as well off as I am. I mean, not to take my own growth out of it, but you need help along the way. You don't have to do it all yourself. And I know so often with MS, because describing the symptoms and how some days it's one way and other days or even hours different, um, it, it's so hard to have people understand what you're going through. So having a care team around you that supports you, that is so important. And not just, you know, professionals, also natural supports like friends and family and, and, you know, having them go with you to support groups or go to their own support groups, um, for like caretakers. It is so important, um, to have that because when you have to do it all by yourself, it's even more isolating. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and all of this wonderful advice and insights and everything. Um, please let people know where they can find you. So I don't have any public social media um, at the moment, <laughs> but um, I am actually um, working at Still Love Psychotherapy, as Christina noted earlier. Um, I am their graduate level intern there. Um, so you can find me on Still Love's website. Um, and I'm right now, I'm also, if, if you're interested in being part of a study about MS, if you have MS, um, I don't know how to get information to, like, do you guys do an exchange of information or do you have a way to exchange information? Yeah, we have, we do show notes and stuff like that. If there's a link to information. Mm -hmm. Cool. I will, I will give you, um, a link to, um, my uh, the flyer that we're using um, for Perfect. the MS study. I'm doing a study with Penn in collaboration, um, how grit affects the quality of life in MS because, and I'm finding us people with MS are pretty gritty, which is awesome. <laughs> so if you're interested in being a part of that, you don't have to, but if you're interested in being a part of that, we would love to have you do the study. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. Welcome. Hey friends, it's Dana, and thanks so much for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast today. Find us on social media at Wholehearted Eating Pod on Instagram and at wholeheartedeating.com for more information about working with Dana and Christina for one-on-one -on -one nutrition counseling. If you love the show, we would love you forever if you'd share an episode with your family and friends or tag us on social media or leave a five-star rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts to help more people find the show. Check out patreon.com slash wholeheartedeating to help support the show and get access to ad-free episodes, bonus episodes with us and our guests, episode discussions, new resources we're creating for Patreon, and so much more. If you have questions for us, feedback on the show, potential topics or guests you'd love to have on, shoot us an email at hello at wholeheartedeating.com and we'll see you next week.